Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mother She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Santiago Mayer. He's the executive director of Voters of Tomorrow. It was founded in 2019 when he was just 17 years old. He noticed a lack of political engagement at his high school, and he decided to tackle it by creating a new organization for young people by young people. I can't wait to talk to him. But before we get into it, The Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup, and don't forget forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Santiago Mayer. Welcome to the show, Santiago. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on. I I, I just have to say, um, I'm inspired and impressed by what you're accomplishing. When I was a young woman, uh, I'm not so young anymore, I'm 54. So when I was, <laughs> I was, you know, 21, 22, 23, obviously I'm a Gen Xer. And I think I was really fortunate because we had Planned Parenthood and we didn't have this threat to democracy and we didn't have the school shootings. And even though climate was being discussed, it wasn't something that seemed like it was so urgent at the time. So I was not paying attention to politics. And I think if I were young now, I believe I would be. But um, what I want to know, I'm so, you're really an impressive person. I said in the intro that you started uh, uh, Voters for, of Tomorrow uh, when you were, weren't you just 17 years old? Yes, just 17. Wow, that's, that's just amazing. Um, could, you just tell us, <laughs> could you just tell us about Voters of Tomorrow, what it's all about? Definitely, yeah. So we are a Gen Z-led voter engagement organization. We have three core goals which are to educate, engage, and represent Generation C in politics and government. Uh, The main idea behind all of it is most issue areas, either tobacco or guns, or even uh, older people with ARP have a lobby to advocate for them Mm -hmm. and make their voices heard, but there is no young people lobby. And we are trying very hard to make sure that young people are always represented, that their views are known, that they have the information necessary to create their own views, and that they have someone who is in the room when decisions are being made. Because at the end of the day, we're going to be dealing with the consequences of decisions for much longer than people making them. Mm -hmm. So it's only fair that we have a representative there. Wow, that's amazing. And I know today you tweeted and you've been tweeting this every day, 35 days until we break youth voter turnout records. So I'm I'm wondering, how do you convince young people to get engaged and interested? Is it easy to do that these days? What are you you finding? It's it's a mix. Obviously, now more than ever, young people are engaged because Mm -hmm. we are under attack by every measure. Uh, We are having books being banned from our schools. Mm -hmm. We're having our rights being taken away. We have seen attacks against our teachers and our parents. And as a generation, we just feel that there is this large contingent of far-right politicians 
working not only against us, but actively waging war against young people. And that is in large part because they are worried about what we can do. They are scared of the power that our generation holds just because it is so big and so unyieldingly pro-democracy that it is hard to see Gen Z ever supporting one of their fascist policies. But we continue to see with young people that their biggest impediment when trying to get involved is they don't feel like they matter. They don't Mm -hmm. feel like their voices are heard. And it's what we call the cycle of disengagement in which young people don't feel like they are listened to and politicians don't feel like they need to listen to young people because they don't vote and then young people don't vote because they don't feel listened to and it Mm -hmm. just goes Mm -hmm. over and over. It just keeps happening. So we're working very hard to make sure we nip that on both sides we're forcing politicians to listen to young people and we're making sure that young people realize that their voice and their vote matters and that when they turn out, they are able to affect change. And we are very confident that this November will not only break a midterm youth voting record, which we set in 2018, but we have a very good shot at breaking a record a voter record in a voter turnout record in general Mm -hmm. we are currently seeing uh in voter internal polling and in public research that young people are saying that they intend to vote at the same rate that they did in 2020 Mm -hmm. and that would be huge yeah that would be awesome um I would love that. Now, I, I, you know, we always hear so much about age when it's about elected officials and, and candidates. They're too young. They're too old. So I just want to know, where do you stand? Like, how do you see age playing into this? Do you genuinely feel, I mean, you, you say that Gen Z is going to decide the midterms. So where does age come into play? Is, there, is it too old or too young? How do you see it? I don't think age in particular is a deciding factor. Obviously, we have some elected officials who are older but are accurately representing Gen Z, and then we have some younger politicians that are not. I mean, uh, Madison Cawthorn, for example, mm-hmm. he's currently the mem- youngest member of Congress, and he is the antithesis of mm-hmm. everything that Gen Z believes in. Same, Carolyn Leavitt is actually a member of Gen Z, She's running for Congress, and she is the epitome of everything that Gen Z opposes. So age does not directly correlate to mm-hmm. our generation's values, but it is important to have young people who are going to face the consequences in the room. And that is why we were one of the first national organizations to endorse Maxwell Frost, and we are very excited to have successfully let him to win the primary Hmm. we're working very hard to make sure that he is able to win the general and we are gonna make sure that he is the first gen c member of congress because it is time to have a member of gen c making the decisions that will affect gen c wow so you know i've talked to my friend kirk acevedo and he often complains that he doesn't feel that the democratic party is doing what they need to do as far as, you know, getting Hispanic voters engaged and all of that. So, you know, I mean, he's complained that Biden should, and I agree with him, that Biden should tweet more in Spanish um, and make that effort. Where do you stand on that? And what do you see from other young people, young Hispanic people, where they stand on that? What do they feel? 
because I know that's like you're not a monolith. Hispanics are not a monolith, but you know, where is it? Where where does it all fall? Yeah, listen, I am a lot more forgiving of the Democratic Party on that front than most people. And the main reason is that we have so many demographic groups that trying to appeal to all of them at the same degree is basically impossible, right? Right. But I, I do think, obviously, Latinos are the youngest demographic block, and for many of them, uh, they care a lot about a variety of issues. They care about climate, they care about abortion, they care about student uh, college affordability and student loans. And I do think that it is a strategic sort of mistake to continue with this idea that when you're talking to young people, to Hispanic people, you have to talk immigration because that is not all, not mm-hmm. true anymore, really. It is obviously an important issue to many of us, but it is not the only thing that we care about. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that both parties could be doing a better job communicating with Hispanic voters. I think both parties could also be doing a lot better at communicating with young voters. I think the lack of outreach is one of the biggest issues, and a large part of why people don't feel like their vote matters. I mean, I think Volatino released some data a few days ago where only half of Hispanic voters had received any direct communication from any political campaign, and that largely reflects a, a similar issue with young people. I mean, in 2020... By the time that we got involved, only half of young voters have heard had heard from any political campaign. So there is this lack of outreach on both fronts, and it's something that uh, both both parties should be doing better at. Obviously, the Democratic Party depends on these votes much mm-hmm. more than Republicans do, so it is something that they have to take on. And I, I we are working to make sure that they do, and they realize the power that our voting bloc holds. Hmm. How, how is it that you're working on it? I mean, do you have access to lawmakers? Are you able to get in front of them at this point? Yeah, I mean, one of the big uh, factors that has made Voters of Tomorrow so successful is that we are we have such a large presence on multiple fronts. Mm-hmm. Both, uh, we currently have chapters in half the states across the country. We have several hundred members and obviously a very large digital reach. And that has allowed us to really get ourselves into the rooms where decisions are made and use that as an example as to how young people want to be talked to. Hmm. It's also been a big mission boat of the organization, mine personally, to show politicians that when they talk to young people, young people respond Mm -hmm. and i think we saw that in 2018 with the midterm elections we saw that in 2020 and we're gonna see that in 2022 because a big part of the campaigns that most of our endorsed candidates are running are centered around issues that young people care about obviously abortion being the principal one Mm -hmm. but there's a variety of them everything from gun violence to climate to student loans we are working with all of our endorsed candidates to make sure that they are communicating effectively with Gen C. And with most of them, I think they're being very successful at it. Wow, that's so interesting. I mean, I remember, 
you know, when I was younger, MTV came out with this whole, you know, like Madonna and Sting and Michael Jackson, whoever would come on and tell you to vote. And so there was this real big urge to vote. But again, at that time, I did not feel that my rights were threatened. I did not feel they were under attack. So I wish that I had been, you know, more engaged at that time. And I just wasn't. In fact, I wrote a book called um, American Woman Pole Dancing, The Woman in Voting. And and you know i mean i wrote it for me basically when i was young like wake up because i just i wish more young people would understand i mean my mother she was always political and she always watched the news and she always was informed and i wish i would have just taken on some of that myself so what is it what are some of the ways like what examples would you give to people listening maybe they have sons or daughters or you know young people in their life that argue that both sides are the same or what could they say to young people to kind of spark engagement? Listen, I think right now is the perfect time to make the argument that both sides are not the same because one side has been fully taken over by a, an extremist radical far right faction that, like I said at the beginning, is actively waging war against young people. And the other side, as many complaints as many people have uh, to different degrees of validity, uh, they are working to protect young people. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are have been working with the Rules Committee in Congress and with Chairman McGovern to protect youth rights. We held a roundtable with, with Rules Committee Democrats about youth rights and actions that Congress could take to protect it. We have been communicating with candidates across the country to make sure that they understand that young people need to vote for them, but will only vote for them if they feel listened to. Mm -hmm. So I, I think telling young people and showing them the different qualities of candidates is very important. I also think showing to them what happens when people don't vote is an important aspect of it showing them how 2016 happened and how stayed home would have won if it had been a candidate and also showing them what happens when young people do vote i mean 2020 is a perfect example of this young voters gave democrats the senate the house and the white house mm -hmm. and in the span of two years, we have not only forgiven a large portion of student loans, we have also passed the largest climate investment yeah. in history. We have passed the first gun violence prevention bill in almost 30 years. And yes, it doesn't include everything that we wanted, but it is a large accomplishment and it is something that will only be built upon mm -hmm. in, if we are able to successfully elect candidates that represent Gen Z this number. So there are a variety of ways to talk to young people. I also do feel the most effective messenger for a young person is another young person, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. why our direct voter outreach program is entirely youth-led. And why our chapters are organizing in college campuses across mm. the country. Because when a young person tells you that their rights are under attack, you tend to listen more than when your mom or your teacher or a celebrity tells it. That's so true. I was just going to ask you, how are some of the ways, obviously college campuses are, are a great way to reach young people. What else are you guys doing to talk to some of the young people and explain what's going on? 
Sure. So we we are using a variety of different strategies, some of them public, some of them not. Uh, obviously, we know that the far right has a money machine that they are very willing mm-hmm. to use against us. So yeah. we do t- keep some of the things that we're doing sort of under the hood <laughs> in order to they're, they're not able to throw their war chest at us. Right, yeah. But from the ones that are public, we're obviously running a very large digital program to make sure that every time a young person goes on social media, they see a reminder that they have to go vote about early voting, mm-hmm. about candidates in their districts and in their states. We're also obviously running a direct voter outreach program. We are texting young people. We sent 500,000 texts in just the first week of the program. Wow. We are going to start a phone banking program relatively soon, and we're partnering with organizations across the country to make sure that we have the capacity to contact as many young voters across the country as possible. Additionally, we're obviously working with content creators and influencers to make sure that they are promoting voting messaging, vote at a nonpartisan level and add a slightly more political but still nonpartisan degree in which they talk about the issues and how specific candidates what specific candidate stances are on those issues and finally we also like i said organize on the ground we have chapters in 25 states we have i believe nearly 40 school chapters at this wow. point and we're going to be doing everything from holding voter registration drives and handing out information to continuing our book distributions, our banned book distributions, all of which include information to register to vote. We're going to continue to do dorm dashing and run across mm-hmm. college dorms to make sure everyone is informed about election information and any creative uh, strategy that some of the people on the ground think of because at the end of the day me in Los Angeles will probably not have the best idea on how to contact 18 year olds in Texas mm-hmm. but the 18 year olds in Texas will right so listening to them and making sure that they have the resources and organizing power that they need to enact those ideas is also a big part of everything that we're doing That is so cool. I'm so impressed. I love dorm dashing. That's brilliant. (laughs) Um, We have to take. Let's let's make sure not to tell college administrations about it. Exactly. (laughs) All right. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this message. Oh, hey, it's Kimberly, the host of the podcast you're listening to right now. Are you my patron on Patreon? If not, it's really easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do a patrons only show after every free show and I talk about whatever. It can get crazy in there. So again, just go to patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out the tiers and become my patron today. Thank you. Okay, we're back. Um... Okay, some of the other things that I was wondering about. Well, first of all, I've noticed like when I read your thread or your feed, I really appreciate your feed uh, because you have humor. You do it with snark and wit. And I mean, it's so important. When I started getting involved in politics back in, I mean, I've, oh, I've, I started getting interested in politics. I think the hanging Chad thing in 2000 with uh, Gore and Bush, that pulled me in. I can't say I was a, um, a junkie at that point. I progressively became more and more interested in politics. And then by 2012, what really sucked me in was Rush Limbaugh um, calling Sandra Fluke a slut for like three days on his show. 
and I started getting really vocal about it. And that's when I, you know, and, and I noticed that, in fact, I wrote an open letter to Rush Limbaugh from a liberal slut on my blog. And that was the like introduction to my political career. And it was humor that kind of was the hook. And so I really appreciate the fact that your feed, you've got that humor and it's, it's subtle, but it's there. Sometimes it's obvious, but it it really works. Now, are you using that when you're with, with voters of tomorrow, do you use that humor and wit or is it a more straightforward situation? Well, first of all, I appreciate the fact that anyone laughs at my tweets rather than, (laughs) uh, it's been a running joke that I don't care about how many people laugh because my goal is to make myself laugh. So hey, that's my, oh my God, me too. Is very appreciated. <laughs> that's awesome. Me uh, too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I do draw a distinction between my personal feed and the work that we do at Versa Tomorrow and largely, obviously, Versa Tomorrow is a pro-democracy, but nonpartisan organization. And I am very much a partisan person right. on my feed. Gotcha. Uh, but yes, I mean, the the style of communications that I use on my Twitter is in some ways reflected in what Verse of Tomorrow does. Obviously, mm-hmm. I write my own tweets, and we have a team of almost 70 people doing uh, different things for Verse of Tomorrow. So Verse of Tomorrow has a much more, I wouldn't say patchwork, but collaborative. 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 There yeah. you go. That's the... <laughs> Uh, collaborative approach to all voter messaging and our tactics. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, Gen Z has a very specific way in which we communicate. And that is through memes, through TikToks, through videos, <laughs> and through ways that are innovative, funny, and engaging. Yeah. And we, we try to maintain that in every single one of our approaches. Whether we are handing out banned books, which is obviously just a rebellious tactic by the radical socialist youth, (laughs) or whether we are making different memes, dunking on Dr. Oz, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is a key part of the way that we speak and a way that we communicate with one another. And we are always trying to make sure that that is reflected. And again, that's really why we have made such a big deal out of being entirely youth-led. Our our oldest staff member is 24, which is unheard of in the (laughs) political world. Our youngest staff member is, at the national level, 14, and at the state level, they're 11. And that's insane. Like, (laughs) it makes me feel old, and I'm 20. (laughs) So... We have this very diverse uh, forum of people who are working on outreach and who are talking to people who might be older than them, who might be younger than them, Mm -hmm. but who relate to them because we have all grown up in the same sort of chaotic world Mm -hmm. where we have so many once-in-a-lifetime experiences Mm -hmm. that it's simply kind of difficult to keep count. So... We, we all have that shared experience, which makes it really simple to talk to each other about what matters, about how our rights are under attack, about how this election will decide the future of the country and potentially the future of democracy. And it is, like I said earlier, a lot more powerful when someone your age says it than when yeah. a celebrity 
who you might know and admire but don't mm-hmm. personally know sucks it in a YouTube ad. It, I am so impressed by you. Oh my God, 20 years old. I, I am so envious of your intelligence and your understanding of the system and, and understanding of messaging. I wish I would have had that when I was 20 years old, but you're clearly gifted and I'm not just trying to kiss your butt because I mean, <laughs> I, I think about this a lot. I always think about what about when I was younger and you know, what made me eventually get into politics. And so your knowledge, you don't sound 20. You sound a lot more mature and older than some of the 20-year-olds that I've known. Um, well, my hairline is that of a 35-year-old. <laughs> We're going by <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I am going to get, I want to ask you about Marjorie Taylor Greene, but I still have a couple more questions before we get to her. Um, I do want to ask because you, I am, I'm sure you've seen, uh, on Twitter, you get the, the people who are completely nervous and it's totally understandable. I'm nervous about the midterms, but, um, people are sometimes allowing the fear to kind of take over. And one of the things that I do believe in is the fact that because I, I didn't want Roe to be struck down, but I knew striking it down was going to have a massive effect on, on not just you know women, but on young voters. So my question to you is when they struck Roe down or even just when they announced it, whenever it was, I'm sure you saw an uptick of interest and engagement. Can you just describe for us um, how things changed and what was different that you saw from young people in general? Well, I think our tweet from that day really describes their reaction. Uh, when the news broke, Voters of Tomorrow tweeted that they pissed off the wrong generation. <laughs> I, that is the perfect encapsulation mm-hmm. of what they did because they woke up a sleeping giant. Yeah. Yes, they did. Now, do you. Everyone oh, go ahead. Sorry. Young people, they home these midterms. And because of their attack on our rights, they are getting everything but Mm -hmm. we have seen voter registrations spike across the country Mm -hmm. we are seeing an increased interest in young people and like i said we're on track to match if not exceed 2020 turnout which is unheard of Mm -hmm. for a midterm especially with young people Mm -hmm. so i really think they're going to regret this they're going to realize that they should not have pissed off young people and they're going to finally realize that they should not mess with gen c because we don't only head back but we not we'll knock them out <laughs> yes i just love hearing that now combined with what's happened to roe we've got the school shootings we've got student loan debt um we've got climate would you say of those you know all those issues are the most important for young voters yeah, listen, I think uh, the concerns of young voters can be put in basically three buckets, all of which together form what we call youth rights. On one side, we have sort of personal freedom. That is abortion. That is uh, gay marriage, LGBTQ plus rights. That is the freedom to be who you are. Mm-hmm. So that is obviously sort of the first one and the main one, because that is the guiding narrative of these midterms. But we also have another two buckets, uh, one being educational rights. And in that, we have Don't Say Gay. Mm-hmm. We have McCarty's Faux Parents' Bill of Rights, which is basically just an anti-students, uh, which is just anti-student legislation. We have book bans. And we have these efforts to kind of gag history teachers because mm-hmm. they don't want 
students to learn uncomfortable truths. Mm-hmm. So that's also something that is guiding uh, young vo- young voters because we are seeing our younger siblings and friends be taught different history than the one we were. I mean, my brother, he's in high school and I'm seeing efforts by his school board to ban books about the Holocaust, which wow. is just insane. Yeah. Uh, and then the third bucket is really personal finance and the economy. And on that front, we've also seen so many attacks. And I mean, student loans is obviously part of that. Mm-hmm. But we are seeing efforts to tax college students with when we were not taxed before, even if we're unemployed, which is just insane. We're seeing efforts to make college more expensive or to increase tuition rates across the country. And I mean, Pennsylvania Republicans try to entirely defund the university of pittsburgh wow like that is that is insane yeah. that would have increased tuition rates by nearly ten thousand dollars per student Ugh. so we are seeing these attacks on our finances as well and all those three sort of buckets when you put them together they show a very clear narrative and that is that the far right is waging war against mm-hmm. young people so all of these issues matter, of course, and obviously we have grown off traumatized by gun violence and are leaving and are living in a world that has the ocean catching on fire, and we're very concerned about those. Wow. But at the end of the day, that is just sort of proof that the far right does not care about us, that yeah. they used to act upon anything to protect us, and that in fact they're working very hard to make our lives worse. Wow. And it's true and it's sad, but now I'm going to ask you about Marjorie Taylor Greene. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny because, uh, I was contacting you just around the time. I think I got a hold of you as, or right before the incident where she kicked one of your colleagues. And then I guess she told you to go back to your country and now you've got an ethics complaint. So just tell us all about it. Yeah, so like I said earlier, we held a roundtable with the Rules Committee in Congress. And as we were exiting the uh, Capitol, we saw that she and other members of the Freedom Caucus were hosting a press conference. So because we had been unable to schedule meetings with any of them, we decided to hang out, wait for them to finish their press conference and approach them with some questions. Uh, with our group, we had a very diverse crowd, including uh, a Will Larkins and Javier Gomez, who have obviously been champions against the Don't Say Gay Bill. And we very quickly realized that both Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene were side-eyeing them and had sort of looks of disgust in their faces. So we we basically decided that just approaching them with questions would not work Mm -hmm. and that if we wanted to get answers we would have to be a little bit more creative so once their press conference ended uh i approached marjorie taylor green as asking for a selfie pretending to be a big fan and i asked (laughs) her why she was letting kids die and die in school wow uh And that sort of led to a chain of events that I don't think anyone could have predicted. (laughs) Uh, Lauren Boebert tried to knock my phone out of my hand, which was shocking by itself, but it was not even the biggest part of it because as we 
kept walking with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She started t- calling us cowards. She called us child abusers. <laughs> she said that if we didn't want kids to be shot in schools, we should simply move to another country. Oh my God. And as we were approaching the office buildings, she obviously kicked Mariana. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we decided it was not worth pursuing, she walked away and kept talking to herself for probably another 30 seconds. Uh, and <laughs> after, after that, obviously, uh, she both tweeted the video that shows her kicking Mariana. And in a follow-up tweet, tweeted a picture of my profile and told me to go back to my country. Oh, my God. Which is absolutely shocking. Oh, my God. So we consulted with our lawyers. We decided that the best path forward and the best thing that we could do both in order to hold her accountable, but also making sure our staff is safe because we know that her fans are not particularly nice people. Uh, we decided that the best path forward was to file an ethics complaint and to hope that both the Office of Congressional Ethics and eventually the Ethics Committee would hold her accountable. Hmm. And we're doing that. We're currently working with our legal team to prepare the complaint, and it will be filed shortly. So what would holding her accountable look like? Well, there's a variety of options. And to be totally honest with you, I am not an expert in congressional ethics, so I can't list all of them. Obviously, she could be fined. Mm-hmm. I, I know she could be forced to apologize, and I do not believe in the value of a forced apology. Right. But I, I think setting the record straight where you can't abuse mm-hmm. – uh, you can't you can't attack young activists asking you questions just because you're uncomfortable is very important. Mm-hmm. So regardless of how accountability looks like, we want to make the record clear and we want to make it make clear in congressional record that when you do things like this, there will be consequences mm-hmm. regardless of how they look. Right. Wow. Well, you've you've talked a lot about the fact that you're confident we're going to see high voter turnout and obviously the fear is that you know we've heard from pundits that republicans are going to take the house although i believe it was nate Cohn, i think that's who it was wrote a new york times piece not i think it was sometime last week talking about the fact that it's not as dire as we think and that in past elections democrats have overcome odds worse than what we're looking at you know moving forward so what i want to know from you this is going to be my last question too is how do you see the midterms shaping up? I mean, again, I know you're you're totally looking forward to, and we all are, a really high turnout. Do you think that's going to make the difference? Are we going to keep uh, control and build and expand? Yeah. So, listen, Democrats currently have a better chance of holding the House that Donald Trump had of winning the 2016 election. And I think that says something. Hmm. The chance that Republicans have of winning both the House and the Senate and the chance of a divided Congress is basically the same as the chance of Democrats keeping control of both. So we're at a point where there is basically a a 33 percent chance of Democrats maintaining control of all of it Mm -hmm. and potentially expanding their majorities. And I, I continue to say that the pundits will be very surprised because all of their predictions are based on likely voter models. Mm-hmm. And none of these models factor in record high youth turnout because young people are not likely voters, at least not by historical standards. Right. So all those models, in our opinion, are simply wrong because they are miscounting the votes of young people. And yeah, I mean, out of the 50 most competitive house districts 
almost half of them will be determined exclusively by how many young people turn out. That, wow. That's those. That's enough to deny Kevin McCarthy the speakership. So I think that young people are going to turn out. I think we're going to break turnout records. And I think that we're going to surprise people by electing another pro-democracy Congress and proving that the far right is simply not welcome in American government and that they are not welcomed by Gen C. And that if they want to ever be electorally viable, they have to amend their platform because this platform of hate and radicalism Mm -hmm. is not resonating with young voters. So this election, I think, is it's the first election in which the majority of Gen Z is able to vote. It's the first election in which we have the chance to prove our electoral power. And we're going to do it. We're going to deny Kevin McCarthy the speakership. We're going to elect pro-democracy senators and congresspeople. And we're going to pass an agenda that represents Gen Z. Santiago, you first of all, you have made me feel good. So thank you for that. <laughs> You're making me feel hopeful. And You're again, very well. <laughs> and I am really, I genuinely mean this. What an impressive man you are. You're, you're really impressive. I'm so grateful for your efforts. And obviously you're going to go places. I know you're going to be a big name in politics moving forward. So thank you so much for coming on this show. Uh, before I release you, please let everybody know where to find you. And keep in mind that I, on the Patreon description of this show, I'm including your Twitter handle as well as your uh, website. But anything else you want to say, because this is going to go out on a bunch of different platforms, just feel free to tell everybody where to find you <laughs> everywhere. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I mean, if people want to find me, I'm at Santiago Mayor underscore on Twitter. Uh, Voters of Tomorrow is at Voters Tomorrow on every social platform. And obviously, if you are looking to donate, if you're looking to get involved, if you want to help turn out young voters, please go to VotersofTomorrow.org. We are working on a monumental effort and we could use all the help that anyone could provide. So I very much encourage everyone to join, sign up to volunteer, chip in a few bucks if you can afford it, and help us turn out Gen Z. Of course, I'm on Twitter, author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget the extra E at the end of my name. My books are on Amazon. And thank you, Santiago, for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, you take care.